Welcome to the Clio for Teachers and Teams podcast. In this podcast, I share practical tips and tricks for implementing Clio into your organization, within your school, or in your lesson. My name is Patrick de Boer, and I'm a Clio teacher from the Netherlands, as well as a Clio teacher trainer and coach. And in this podcast, I'd like to share my ideas and experiences with you in order to get Clio on top of your mind. Have fun listening. In this episode, I want to talk with you about language being key element of CLIL, obviously. Um, we need to talk about how this actually is promoted by teachers and teams. So how does one motivate teachers to use a target language and how does one motivate students to tar- use a target language? And I mentioned both on purpose because this is definitely something that might pose a challenge um, to teachers and students alike. Now for before you start with all of this, let me talk about the teacher perspective, uh, which is, I think, the most crucial one, because that's the one that, that students encounter, obviously, first. But I also want to talk about how teachers are supported and how, as a teacher, you can create confusion and how to avoid that when you organize a team meeting as a bilingual coordinator or a coach. So, first of all, as a teacher, what could be done to make sure that students um, don't experience a lot of problems with the language? Well, one of the things is to lower the barrier. Um, there is that, um, um, Phil Ball in his book wrote about the three levels of CLIL being procedure, language and context. If you have a very difficult context and the procedures are new to students or might be rather complex, you do not want the language element to be too high as well. And when students just ter- start with bilingual education, Procedures and context are difficult because it's all new to them. They are figuring out how the school works. They're figuring out how to, how to work together in a group. They are learning how to do new things in general. And they are learning new things when it comes to different subjects. So there's already two um, levels that, that are raised very high. And then we also have the language element in a bilingual setting using CLIL. And I would argue, keep an eye on that. Make sure that, for example, when you just start out with first grade students, age 12 in our case, um, that we start talking some Dutch here and there until autumn break. And then between autumn break and Christmas, you know, you can, it's teacher only, it teacher speaks English only. Students can still talk Dutch here and there. And after Christmas, it's English only. That's only a period of about 12 weeks, three or four months that students can actually use Dutch. And in my experience, students already try to speak English a lot before that deadline. It's not like all of a sudden after Christmas they switch. They already go through that procedure because there's so much English around them. And I've seen almost every single student that I've taught over the 15 years that I've taught mathematics, um, I've seen students succeed at this. There's... The amount of students in all of those years of teaching which were not able to do this can be counted on one hand and often it has to do with motivation and level and not so much with um, with not being able to do English. It's, it's the time of the year where we have a lot of promotion um, events. So we, I, I was at one yesterday evening where parents were asking all of those 
questions that you have heard before probably you know that about do you need to have a certain level of English before you can go to in bilingual education my answer is no obviously not although you need to be have some you have to have some interest in language and be willing to learn and be want to set that make that extra effort because clear teaching simply is slightly harder than regular teaching especially when you first start out because of that language element one thing teachers can do to help out with that is scaffold um, and I'm going to talk about scaffolding this entire episode, but one of the things that can be used to lower that language barrier is using scaffolding. For example, sentence stems to help students already get um, to that next stage, if you will. I used that actually yesterday when I talked with parents about what CLEAL is, and I used that sentence stem to ask them to uh, finish a sentence, the most important thing I learned today was, and I used that in the context of the parents' evening, so parents had to tell me what they thought was the most important element they had learned about our school, about our bilingual system um, uh, during that evening, which was interesting to hear back as well as making sure that all students, well in this case I said students, all those parents were actually engaged because they had to talk with each other first, etc. I used that CLIL idea, the CLIL concepts um, to, well, practice what I preach, to share with the parents what that actually means. Another thing that I did with those parents as an activity is something you can do as well to make language salient. I asked them to describe what bilingual education is in their own words, in 15 words or less. And by putting that limit on there, by asking them to describe something in their own words with a, time, with a word limit, force them to actually think about, okay, but what do I actually, how am I going to say this? And in class, obviously, I would ask students to write this down and after that, count the words. And believe me, I do this during lessons, I do, do, do this during training sessions with teachers, and I did it during the, I used this activity yesterday evening with the parents. Um, there's always at least one, but often more, that use more than 15 words, which is a bit sad. Um, because I think, the, you know, it, it, it's just always the case, right? It happens in class as well. You think you give a very specific, clear task and there's always students going just a little bit in a different direction. It's not a bad thing per se, but it's just showing that it is a tricky task because students have to think about, okay, but if I had to use 15 words to describe a complex thing, what words am I going to use? What synonyms can I use? What are things that I can change in the sentence or in the structure of the sentence to make sure that it works? Does Is it still a sentence or is it just a co combination of words that don't really make sense anymore, you know? So this activity really triggers that language and makes it salient, as Phil Ball calls it. Um, okay, so that, that's something a teacher can do. But a teacher, him or herself, can also confuse students. And that's something that I want to talk with you about as well. Um, in the Netherlands, when students have to ask if they can go to the bathroom, they can ask that in like like 10 different ways. And it's not that it's a bad thing to uh, have allowed that in 10 different ways. But if one teacher from English says, well, you have to use this way of, of asking this, this is the correct way of asking this. And another teacher says, well, I don't care what the correct way of asking this is. That creates confusion. And that's the same with using different phrases for the same thing. Um, for example, the term, so a series of weeks together making a term, in Dutch is called periode. So some teachers translate that to period, which could also be used for the hour, which is a lesson. So that if it, different teachers use the different phrases, 
students get confused, especially in first grade, but also after that. As a coordinator, as a bilingual coordinator, or as a clue coach, depending who has this specific role of organizing team meetings, this is something you can also talk about. So what words do we use to make sure there's some that we are congruent in that communication? Because the sooner we make sure that we are all on the same page, the sooner students will pick up on that and actually um, um, use it in the correct way. If the students hear different things every hour, every lesson, obviously they're not going to implement it in a congruent way anytime soon. So that's something as a coordinator you can do to make sure that the language becomes less of a barrier, making sure that all the communication of teachers is on the same level, is using the same words. Well, this is, you know, the language part of CLIL is, is crucial and I'm talking from a Dutch perspective, I'm talking about situations where English is the second language, but I would argue that this works in any bilingual setting. And I also want to just talk about something that I heard a coach say yesterday about CLIL being um, uh, about languages. So content and languages integrated learning and not content and language integrated learning. I thought it was, well, um, um, uh, interesting um, to, to, to use that word in a certain context. Um, I don't think the abbreviation stands for content and languages integrated learning. I do think that when you use it in a bilingual setting, there's always the fact that you use two languages. And as I said before, I do feel that I think 90% of what is, makes CLIL so good is also what makes any other lesson a good lesson. Uh, make sure that all students are engaged, focus on concepts, etc. But I find it very hard to ask of teachers to constantly give their lessons into lesson languages. I don't think that's the purpose of CLIL. I think the purpose of CLIL is making sure the students are aware of the language and students are working with both languages and they obviously already hear a lot of the first language around them. So I, I would argue you need to focus a bit more on the second language to make sure they actually learn the second language. And yes, there's gonna be moments where they have to use the first language and they have to know the phrases in the first language as well simply because at the end of when they get the examinations, they have to know those words in Dutch anyway. And luckily they have some time to do that during the upper years. But I would argue that clearly it's really about making sure that you focus on the second language and think about the implementation of that in the first language, but not so much focus on that. Um, and that means practically, I don't use word lists. I do not hand out word lists with translations to students. Un uh, unfortunately, the, the, the book that I use actually has a word list in the back. I don't tell my students about that because I don't want them to start translating. I want them to create their own personal idiom files, their own word lists, and I want them to use descriptions to describe what that word means because that way I can make sure that they actually start thinking about the language and I'm also differentiating there, of course, because they all have different words that they find difficult. In my lesson last Monday, I actually had a student asking me a word that uh, from the chapter that, and, and then after I explained that, I, she wrote that, that word down in her word list. And I was like, yes, that's what I want. If you find something tricky from what the, the, the topic that we're discussing, that's how I think you learn. And if I would have handed her a translation, translation um, a word list with translations, she would just have looped maybe in that word list if she had not lost it before that. And then, okay, that's the word and moved on. And now there was learning involved because she had to 
think about it, she had to write it down, etc. So I think she will not really need that word list anymore at the end because she had already gone through that process of learning about it a couple of times. Anyway, I'm already talking more about language than I intended to. Um, I already went over all the things I wanted to say minutes ago. Um, there's so much more you can say about Clil and language. Um, actually, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe diving into this and during other episodes as well. Um, I know there, for example, are schools in the Netherlands that talk about uh, that, that have bilingual education with another language than English as a second language. And I also read some research about the the use of CLIL and the use of bilingual education in primary schools. So is it useful, for example, to have students at the age of four, five already learn some English or not? Well, the research I read said no, it has no effect whatsoever. But I'm well aware that I'm not that well read into that specific area of, of, of um, research. So there might be other parts of research that say other things. But that's something that you might also want to consider. How, what can we ask of students? I'm not sure if you teach in secondary or primary education while listening to this, um, but what age can you actually already talk about this with students? And the most effect on the brains when it comes to bilingual education is of course found at students or st uh, kids, I have to say, who have grown up in a bilingual environment. Those actually, if they, their brains have been scanned and you can actually see differences there. The effect of bilingual education at secondary level is of course less because it's only a very small part of their lives. But there's still some evidence that shows that being taught in a bilingual setting, being taught a second language through content, has a huge impact on the learning process of students in general. Um, Cleo Ball, of oh, sorry, no, um, 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 David Marsh talked talked about this um, at the online Cleo Summit, two sessions, uh, two, two, not the last one, but the one in 2021, but all the research that shows the effect Cleo has on brain uh, activity. And I was astonished by the sheer amount of things that came out of that. So if you're interested in that, um, 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 yeah, you might want to contact him and see if the research is available or just Google this. Um, you, you can't find the, the online things anymore unless you bought the All Access Pass back then you might still have access to it. Anyway, um, so that was that what I wanted to share about language. So make sure as a teacher you scaffold it and you lower that barrier at first. You can slowly increase that level of language because the procedures for students will be less difficult and also when the context uh, is not, you know, constantly new to students anymore. You can also raise that language bar, if you will. And um, as a coordinator, make sure you discuss with your teachers what language can you use, what language can't you use. You can also talk about, okay, so this is like BICS, the very lowest level of, of, of language, and how do we transcend to helps? How do how to help? How do we go into more academic forms of English? And how do we make sure that those 50-year-olds don't use the same language they were using when they were 12? You know, there's a lot of things you can do to, to gradually go through that. That's not just the English language teacher's job. So that's something you can also talk about with your team. What's the type of language we expect them to have at the age of 15 and compared to the age of 12, etc. All right, um, that's it for today. I hope you liked this. Let me know um, what you thought of this podcast and I hope to hear from you. And if you like it, give me a review 
and uh, make sure you like this or, or, or subscribe to this in your podcast software um, so other people can also find me. And if you have other topics that you'd like to share or just want to get in touch and if you have a question, please let me know uh, below this podcast and um, I'd be happy to get in touch with you and help you out if you have any questions. That's it for today and hope to hear you. Um, I'm looking forward to the next one already and hope you will like that one as well. See you.